getting a lot of uh, good feedback, even though I'm not totally public with this yet. And somebody said that when they started listening, they didn't know what they were listening to. <laughs> so um, thank you for the feedback. I love it. Keep it coming. Um, so this is the second episode, the second full interview. This is going to be done with Allison Vidal-Jones, who is my coworker and friend. And... The first person that I really got to see up close and personal experience pregnancy, we both started working at our teeny little office, and um, so I've spent a ton of time right next to Allison and to watch her get married and go through pregnancy and have a beautiful baby has been kind of a crazy experience for me because she's about my age. The reason that I wanted to interview her was I was really interested in watching her go through the journey of having a set of expectations of what pregnancy would mean and what childbirth would mean for her and having to contend with the reality that she hit that that wasn't her ideal. But I think she faced it with a lot of grace and courage and learned a lot. I think that it fits really nicely into what I'm trying to do with this podcast, which is take these narratives about women that... You know, I feel like I've heard a lot in the media about pregnancy, about pregnant women, especially about pregnant women and working, and not a lot of personal stories about what it's actually like on a on a micro level as opposed to a political level where people's stories can be co-opted. I really wanted to give her the space in this interview to just tell her story because it taught me so much getting to sit next to her every day. So um, thank you so much for listening. Please keep the comments going. I'll get more active on social media once I start at my iTunes RSS feed. Um, so here's Allison. I think a lot of times I attributed wanting to be a mom, honestly, to the boyfriend I had at the time. It, it, this is like super personal maybe, but what do you mean? Like when I had a boyfriend that I was in a serious relationship with, I wanted to have kids. But then after we broke up, I'm like, Oh, I never want to have kids. So I think I was associating kids with the, like the dream of having this family. Like that's what is expected of me. And then when I met my husband who had a daughter already, and he was, you know, he would talk about, no, kids, we just have kids. It's like a selfish thing. And, you know, it's just to make ourselves feel better. And I was like, yeah, totally <laughs> don't want to have kids ever. You know, so he just had this other idea of what it was, even though he loved his daughter and I loved her. But it was like, no, I'm satisfied as a woman because I have a stepdaughter. But then eventually you end up wanting to have your own. And he realized, okay you know, we want to have kids ourselves. It's not just a selfish extension of ourselves, you know. So we actually decided before we got married that we wanted to have kids. It was like, well, if it happens, it happens whenever. But it was it was more of a let's, we just wanted to have one. Maybe I just got to a point biologically where I was like, I want to have a baby. And he was like, all right, let's try it out. It's kind of like when we got a cat. Let's get a cat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not the best advice to follow, but it was time. Like in our relationship, we felt it was time. My husband said to me once that his, a friend of his said, you get married when the, your relationship is in trouble and you have kids and your marriage is in trouble, <laughs> which might be that way for some people. But I think in this relationship that I had before my husband, 
I think it was just there wasn't much of a relationship between the two of us. But I still wanted to hold on to this project that I had in my own mind, not that he had that in his mind. And so having a family was a way to seal that project. Well, but, to, to back up before we get there. Yeah. Um, so when I first met you, I remember, I don't know where we were flying, probably Texas. To Texas. Yeah. And we were yeah. sitting next to each other on the plane and you brought out some book and it had a really funny name. What was it? Um, it was like Hippie Baby Mommy. <laughs> oh, I have it around here somewhere. At any rate, it was just like... Um, like, one of my first impressions of you was meeting you and, like, seeing you kind of had this set of, like, natural and, like, health-focused and um, kind of trying to keep out, like, corporate, like, big chemical out of, like, a family <laughs> life. Um, and uh, I'm wondering how you kind of arrived at that. Honestly, it was through my husband. You know kind of taught me this different world because I just came into it like whatever I just buy the cheapest stuff at Walmart because I have no money I'm a poor grad student and and then it was like oh wow food has chemicals or, or you know like stuff in it products have bad chemicals and it was like this eye-opening experience but that's where it comes from so meeting him and then I've kind of done my own reading and you know, I make my own cleaning products, stuff like that. And the values kind of espoused in that, like, particularly relating to moms and, like, childbirth and all that is, like, you tell me. Yeah, so, like, natural birth, you know, unmedicated, you know, sometimes people even go not even hospital birth, you know, with a midwife, you have a doula by your side, just, like, the most natural, no interventions. But, you know, you just do everything so it can be the most natural possible. You do breathing exercises, you meditate, all of that. So I had this idyllic kind of idea of what my birth was going to look like. And sometimes life happens differently than what we want it to be. So I ended up having hypertension in the 38th week. And I just went in for a regular checkup and my blood pressure was pretty high. So I had to go to a triage. They finally sent me home like three hours later once my blood pressure went down enough where they felt comfortable doing that. And then I had to go back in two days later and it was even higher. I was working full time because I wanted to save as much leave as I could just to be able to spend as much time with the baby as I could. But that ended up hurting me in the end, I think. But for whatever reason, my blood pressure went up really high. It wasn't preeclampsia. Um which is more serious, it's just like normal hypertension. But that meant that I had to go to triage, and they said that the baby's coming out that night. So we went in, and that's when it all started. The thing that they say a lot is that when you have an injection, you have more risk of C-sections, and then that's more, it's not as safe for a baby, it's not as safe for mom, mom takes more time to recover. You just don't want that to happen. But if I had hypertension, I was going to have to be induced. But there are ways that you can do it to not have to take the Pitocin and to get the medicated induction. Pitocin is used to induce a birth, to get the birth going. So you can kind of, I don't know if this is like the t technical terms, but like you can trick your body into thinking it's getting ready for labor, even though it's too early. So what they did is they took a Foley bulb, and that's just like a little balloon type thing. They put it inside of you, and they blow it up, and as your cervix expands, it comes out. They did that. It was in there 
you know, for 12 hours before they realized that it was just sitting. Then they were like, oh, you're already at five centimeters. So 10 centimeters is when baby's ready to come out. At five centimeters, they thought that that was a really good number. So they decided to break my water because that's a way that you can get your body going thinking it's in labor, right? So they broke your, my water and then slowly the contraction started and, and I started to go into labor. And this was a way to do it the most naturally possible, right? Because otherwise you could, I could have gotten Pitocin and then that would have started everything anyway. I started having contractions. It was first, it was like, oh, this isn't too bad. Ha ha. <laughs> laughing, talking to my family. It was good. And then slowly it started getting a lot more painful. And I got to the point where I was having contractions every two minutes and just and really, and without any medication, you know, I was still on my plan of this isn't ideal, but it's going to be the most natural possible. You know, going to the shower, and my husband would go in there with me and just help me massage me and hold me. And every two minutes, that's pretty painful. <laughs> um, and then, you know, getting to the point where I'd be lying down and I would just kind of like go into this other world in between contractions. Like, I, I don't know if I fell asleep or not. But I would just kind of come to as a contraction was coming. And I remember just crying out, I need a hug. And I couldn't really move. Like I, you know, they say moving is the best thing. I couldn't move around. So then they gave me the saline solution. They shot it in my back. And this is, I guess, like a, a way that some of them, some midwives use for pain relief. Um and that felt like my entire body was on fire on the inside, which she said it was going to burn for like 30 seconds, but I had no idea what she meant. Then they realized that he was turned toward my hip. So the soft part of his head was going through, but not the hard part to continue to open the cervix. So what they found after 12 hours with contractions every two minutes is that I was no more dilated than I had been 12 hours before. That night, 12 hours later, they said, listen, we need to give you the epidural. That's going to maybe relax your cervix so it can expand, and it's also going to calm you down and so you can move around and see if you can rotate him. We did that for two hours, and it didn't happen. And they came in and said, listen, you've pretty much done everything you can, and so a C-section is really all that's left for you. So I ended up having the C-section. When they put you in there, the room is so cold, and I was just shaking. I remember asking the nurses, like, is this normal? And they were like, oh, yeah, it's completely normal. It's just your body, the hormones. And then they're cutting, and the anesthesiologist makes you check that you're not feeling anything. But you can still feel the tugging and the pulling. So even though you don't feel any pain when they're cutting you open, you can feel them pulling back things. And it's a bizarre feeling. And then you start to hear this cry. I remember hearing him crying and just thinking in my drugged out, exhausted state, he just needs to be with his mommy. But I couldn't hold him. I had to have my hands down. I felt too weak to hold him because I was tired, the drugs, um, everything. This was the second night The time by the time I actually had the baby. And the nurse came in. And they checked the baby and everything. And she's like, okay, well, I'll be back at 6. And it was 5 o'clock. 
And I'm like, oh gosh, I only have an hour to sleep. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll try. But then you have this little baby that just came out of you next to you. And you're like, okay, how am I supposed to sleep now? Because he'd make little coos. And I think I might have drifted off to sleep finally. But then she came back in at six. In that moment, did it feel like that that competition that you had wanted basically with yourself to like do everything right by your baby had kind of did you feel like a failure in that moment the first point of that was when they said about the epidural and I remember at that point just kind of saying out loud to myself saying okay if this is what we have to do this is what we have to do I'm not doing this because I gave up I'm doing this because I need to be able to move to get him in the right position. So in that sense, like, it made me feel better because it wasn't like I couldn't handle the pain. And in fact, you know, at some point, the screaming, the pain that I had, my mom turned around and crying. When I woke up with the epidural, I started crying because I couldn't feel anything. And it was the most bizarre thing to go from feeling everything so strongly, so much pain, to feeling nothing. It's like, yeah, it was nice to have a break, but it didn't feel right, you know? So that was hard, and that made me cry. But then when they said about the C-section, I could tell it was coming. So it was it was hard to get to that point, but it was like, okay, I've done everything I can. Something I realized from talking to you was, like, the way that people talk about this whole process is like it's all because it's women centric it's all like daisies and roses and Mm -hmm. like everything is so easy but it's no joke like it's a battle like to get a child out of you it's hard work and every woman you know has her own story her own experience and and that's fine but one thing and maybe this is just the environment that I'm in with work and my own interests but there's a lot of talk about you know don't have c-sections and honestly I felt like women were going to judge me because I had to have a c-section and that it wasn't going to be medically necessary because there's all this talk about c-sections you know aren't really medically necessary and I don't think I fall into the category that they're talking about I think they refer more to people who do elective c-sections and not even like C-sections after you've already had a C-section because, you know, some women just can't have or don't want to have a a vaginal birth after a C-section. You know, so I don't think I fall into that category, but I think it was just so dominant in my mind that I was doing this thing and people were going to judge me because I couldn't have a natural birth and and maybe living in the Ann Arbor area too. It's like you hear all these women who have had natural births and I don't think it's that many I mean, I think a lot of women have epidurals, but maybe the ones who have the natural births are more vocal about it. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I felt less for doing it, even though I knew that I could. And actually, every single time that people ask me how the birth went, I felt like I had to give an excuse when when I said something about a C-section. And I don't feel like I was robbed, and I'm not going to beat myself up over the fact that I had to have a C-section. I have my baby, and I wouldn't change that for the world. But I remember reading something, and some woman wrote that her scar was like a battle scar. And it's a door for her baby. And it really touched me, because it's like this 
is his, his door. Nobody has gone in that door. Nobody has come out of that door. That is only his door. I don't have stretch marks, so I don't have those scars to remind me of my pregnancy, but I have this line that's still bright red that sometimes surprises me when I see myself in the mirror. And it's like, that's his little, his little door to the world. All right, that was Allison Vidal-Jones. Really generous of her to let me crash into her life and ask her some personal questions. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, listener, for listening. I will be back sometime soon. And this is Riveted Podcast. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and at my website, rivetedpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.